everyone, welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 1st of March 2024. This is Ian Haydock. This time, optimistic outlook for biopharma IPOs, Boehringer's promising MASH results, Viking emerges as obesity contender, Insight looks to portfolio diversification, and a look at China's HPV vaccine market. The year already appears off to a stronger start for biopharma companies looking to reach the public markets compared to recent years, and experts at the Bio CEO and Investor Conference said early trends are fueling positive sentiment that a turnaround is underway for US biopharma initial public offerings. Valuations for public biopharma companies have risen since the start of the year, with the Nasdaq Biotechnology Index up 5.1% and the XBI Fund up 15.6% as of 28th February, Jessica Merrill writes. The upturn is a continuation of momentum that began late last year after a long dismal downturn for biotech stocks in 2022 and 2023 and powered in part by increased mergers and acquisitions. Already eight biopharma companies have launched US IPOs in the first two months of the year, an uptick after only 21 companies launched US IPOs in 2023 and 22 in 2022. It's easy to be excited after the last two years, said Adam Stone, Chief Investment Officer and Head of Research at Perspective Advisors, a life science investment firm. Speaking during a panel session about the IPO outlook at the Bio meeting in New York on 27th February, he said public investment in the sector is being driven by specialist investors and those investors have dry powder to reinvest after an uptick in M&A activity across the sector late last year and early this year. That capital is sitting on the balance sheet of the funds, he said. While much of that investment is directed to follow-on public offerings or secondary investments in the public markets, it also facilitates IPOs, he added. Managing Director and Head of Healthcare Banking at Roth MKM, James Antonopoulos, agreed with the encouraging sentiment. Right now, we are seeing a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of companies looking to access the markets, and investors want to put money to work with public companies, he said. There is a strong backlog of very high-quality companies that have been funded that hopefully here will perform well, do well, provide those exits for those VCs who can help recycle that capital back into earlier-stage companies that help them present well for IPOs, and that's a healthy ecosystem for biotech investing, he added. Boehring Ingelheim has always believed the biggest opportunity for its dual-glucagon GLP-1 receptor agonist candidate Servodutide lay in treating metabolic dysfunction-associated steatohepatitis, or MASH, and new Phase 2 data look to support this premise. Just-released top-line data show 83% of adults treated with a once-weekly injection achieved a statistically significant improvement of MASH versus placebo, 18.2%, a 64.8% difference at 48 weeks, Andrew McConaughey writes. The trial met the primary endpoint with servodutide reaching a biopsy-proven improvement in MASH without worsening of fibrosis stages F1, F2 and F3, mild to moderate or advanced scarring. Boehring said the results showed best-in-class potential and the data are among the most impressive in a crowded late-stage pipeline for the disease, also known as non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH. However, others warned of reading too much into the results especially as comparing the current crop of MASH trials is especially tricky. 
Server Dutite also met all secondary endpoints, including an eye-catching significant improvement in liver fibrosis, a key driver of MASH. While other drugs have shown at best no worsening of fibrosis, Servodutide is the first GLP-1-based therapy to record an improvement in this score. Boehringer's Global Head of Cardiovascular and Metabolic Medicine, Wahid Jamal, told Scrip that the primary endpoint and secondary results were groundbreaking. I don't know of any other compound which has shown anything close to this degree of improvement in MASH, he said, adding that the fibrosis improvement was also a landmark result. This is particularly important in MASH because fibrosis is one of the key drivers of the disease. So to be able to show an improvement or regression in that fibrosis is critically important. The Phase 2 study enrolled a total of 295 participants divided into four dose cohorts. Boehringer said all doses tested offered MASH improvement and there were no unexpected safety or tolerability signals even in the high dose group. In MASH, for which there are no approved treatments, the first U.S. approval could come shortly, with Madrigal Pharmaceuticals expected to hear from the U.S. FDA on its THR beta agonist Resmatyrom by 14th March. After unveiling Phase 2 data on 27th February for a GLP-1 GIP agonist showing absolute weight reduction up to 14.7% after 13 weeks, Viking Therapeutics may now be a contender in the burgeoning weight loss obesity space. Despite the glowing reception for what the firm called preliminary efficacy findings for VK2735, Viking expects that the next step will be a Phase 2b study that works out dosing issues and looks at longer-term effects, Joseph Haas writes. CEO Brian Lian told an analyst call that Viking hopes to convene a Type-C meeting with the US FDA around mid-year, to determine the next steps. While cautioning about the limitations of cross-trial comparisons, analysts pointed out that the data from Viking's 176-patient Phase 2 venture study, which tested 2.5, 5, 10 and 15 mg weekly subcutaneous doses, compared favourably to clinical data that Eli Lilly reported for both current and development obesity drugs. William Blair analyst Hannes Thier said, it's our view that the magnitude of placebo-adjusted weight loss of 13.1% at the highest 15mg dose reflects a best-in-class profile among approved and investigational agents with Phase 2 data. The study also produced what the company called an encouraging safety and tolerability profile that analysts deemed in line with the GLP-1 agonist and GLP-1 GIP agonist classes. Insight's oral JAK1-2 inhibitor, Jakafi, has grown to dominate the myelofibrosis market since its approval in 2011. For many years, it was the company's only commercial asset, and it remains Insight's top seller by a wide margin, but is facing a loss of exclusivity in 2028. However, while it's under pressure to diversify its revenue base through new products, the company expects to achieve milestones for multiple assets in 2024, that could reach the market ahead of the Ducafi LOE. Insight's pipeline is fueled by in-house R&D as well as business development activity, a strategy important to CEO Herve Hoppeno, because if you don't do your own R&D, it's very difficult to judge the quality of somebody else's products, he said in an interview with Scripps Mandy Jackson. 
The company's most recent business development activity gave it full global rights to the CD19 targeting immunotherapy Monjuvi from Morphosis, which is in phase 3 for three new indications. Insight had exclusive ex-US rights to the product, while it and Morphosis shared rights in the US, where the drug was approved as a second-line treatment for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in 2020. The company will read out phase 3 results for the product in second-line relapsed or refractory follicular lymphoma and marginal zone lymphoma in the second half of 2024, with phase 3 data in first-line DLBCL expected in 2025. Obsolura, Insight's topical formulation of ruxolitinib, approved in 2021 for atopic dermatitis and in 2022 for vitiligo, is the company's second biggest product after Jicafi, which brought in $2.6 billion in revenue in 2023, up 8% from the previous year, and generated $337.9 million in sales last year, up 162% from 2022. It could also see growth from new indications after delivering positive phase 3 results in paediatric atopic dermatitis. The nearest term addition to Insight's commercial portfolio may be the Syndax Pharmaceuticals partnered drug Axitilimab as a third-line plus treatment for chronic graft-versus-host disease. See the interview in full for further details of Insight's pipeline plans and in-house R&D strategies, according to its CEO. Finally, Merck & Co, known as MSD outside North America, delivered a high-flying performance in China last year with one product shining for the company, the HPV vaccine Gardasil, Brian Yang writes. On 9th January, Gardasil 9's two-dose regimen was approved in China in addition to the previously approved three-shot regimen and the company also submitted data at the end of 2023 towards the Chinese approval of an HPV vaccine for males. China has the second highest incidence and mortality rate for cervical cancer globally, with roughly 110,000 new cases and 59,000 deaths, the 2023 commentary in BMJ Global Health showed. Although the Chinese government has aligned with the World Health Organization's guidelines for standard HPV vaccination of those aged 9 to 14, its programme only covers females aged 13 to 15 in selected regions, including Guangdong and Fujian provinces. This is both narrow and insufficient, since most of those aware and understanding of the need for HPV vaccination and the means of paying for it if necessary are young urban females outside this age group. Cost of class 2 prophylactic vaccines in China, apart from those included in the National Immunisation Programme, is shouldered by consumers, but demand for these seems to be ever-growing, with the population resorting to the private pay market in the HPV sector and helped by rising disposable income. Five HPV vaccines are currently approved in China, including GSK's Cervix and several local products. Domestic bivalent vaccines typically cost around $42 versus around twice that amount for equivalent imported products. Imported quadrivalent and nine-valent vaccines are even more expensive. Nevertheless, data from a report by Led Leo in China showed MSD held a 75.4% share of the Chinese HPV vaccine market in 2022. While major Chinese vaccine maker Wallabax has obtained approval for its HPV vaccine, 
It noted in its latest quarterly earnings report on 25th January that the product missed sales targets due to Gardasil 9's expansion and significant increase in exports. Given that currently available domestic products are only bivalent and the inadequate protection they provide compared to nine-valent HPVs, the dominance of Gardasil is not a surprise. Kiwu, who's CEO of Chinese vaccine company Bravavax, told Scrip. As long as the imported products are sufficiently supplied to China, there won't be more room for the domestic makers, the CEO predicted. One factor shaping Gardasil's success in China has been Merck's partnership with local company Zhifei Biological Products. Such partnerships are seen as key to help foreign makers make inroads into lower-tier cities and inform and reach more users. Merck's chairman and CEO Robert Davis noted in the firm's first February earnings call that we continue to believe the eligible cohort in just the urban females in China, which is the tier 1 to 3 cities, is about 200 million. We think probably about 30% have actually received the vaccination. So you're still looking at 120 million, 130 million eligible population. However, multiple domestic makers are now vying to get their nine-valent vaccines to market, including Rec Biotechnology, Wantai and Wellvax. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. All the stories mentioned here are linked in the description below and form just a small part of Scripps' global coverage last week. If you already subscribe, log in to Access or take out a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.